What's up everyone and welcome to episode 147 of the Justin Insight Podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Um, I'm not going to go with the normal pleasantries because we're all in a pretty shitstorm of a situation at the moment. Um, the reason this podcast is coming to you a day later than usual is because uh, on... What day are we today? Tuesday. Monday, so Monday evening... Uh, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, decided to essentially place the country on lockdown. Uh, I therefore didn't want to release the episode on that same day. Uh, well, the following day, first full day of lockdown, just purely because selfish reasons, didn't want to kind of get it lost in the shuffle. And two, I didn't think it was appropriate to sort of release when people are sort of stressing out about situations and so on and so forth so we're a little bit later than usual but as i'd promised the show will go on despite all the hysteria around this global pandemic um that being said we are back we are here as always thank you for everyone that is sticking by us and supporting the show in any which way form you can um this week's episode has actually been one that's been in the pipelines way before all this crap started so it's ironic that it kind of took a lockdown to, for this to actually come to fruition but hey we're here um and we got this episode done uh hoping to get another couple done this week if all goes to plan um so yeah this will continue to go ahead now i have to say along with everything else all of my equipment seems to be going to absolute shit at the moment um so the quality isn't the best unfortunately which trust me i hate as much as anyone else um i'm trying my best to sort of work around things with the limited resources that i do have at the moment um but yeah just a brief sort of caveat that that please bear that in mind when going into listening to this episode if you if you can't deal with it i understand but as i said i've kind of done my best with the with the tools at my disposal anyway i'm going to start bubbling on and we'll go straight into uh this week's guest uh and this week i'm joined by vocalist of death metal juggernauts uh beneath the massacre elliot de Gagne. uh elliot was kind enough to take some time out of his day uh, over in Canada well, before spending some time with his family uh, to have a little chat with me. Uh, during the discussion, we obviously talk about what the band has been up to, how they kind of came to form, and they were sort of ahead of their time, especially over in Canada in terms of their uniqueness and sound, um, how he was kind of like reaching for, for bands like Dying Fetus and, and those kind of extreme sort of grind metal bands in his younger time younger days um how he kind of said like when beneath the massacre sort of started to kind of get there in that the sort of quebec and montreal uh sort of metal scene almost kind of turned its back on the band a little bit and it wasn't until they started getting that international sort of recognition that they were kind of welcomed home with with open arms um and one bit that I was kind of a personal tidbit that I wanted to speak to him about was just how 
he personally kind of structures his lyrics around the absolute chaos that is their their musical timings chaos in the best shape of that word if you know beneath the massacre then you'll understand what i mean by that um but yeah he goes into to some in-depth detail as to his kind of writing process and recording process which was was really interesting so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat i have with elliot and i'll see you on the other side Joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of Canadian death metal juggernauts Beneath the Massacre, Elliot Degagne. Elliot, thank you very much for for taking some time out of your day to have a little chat with me. Um, I'm going to address the elephant in the room straight away. How's your quarantine going? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you for having me, uh, spending a little time with you guys. Uh, Yeah, my quarantine is now on day five or six. Uh, we came back from that American tour on the rush to self-isolate, and uh, I mean, my health is okay, so I can't really can't really complain. Yeah. Uh, the wife can work from home, so yeah, trying to get make the best out of it. And I'm always complaining I don't have downtime, so <laughs> yeah, I got tons of downtime now. And just because obviously, like I'm not like the situation in our country at the moment is like things are only just kind of starting to be put in place, but. What's it like for, for you at the moment? Is it like complete lockdown? Like, what, what's the situation? Um, actually, the Canadian government, and more specifically the Quebec government, was very proactive. Like, we were still in the U.S., and the tour were still was still going on when we heard on the, the Canadian radio that we were listening on the Internet to, uh, you know, they were saying basically to come back home to any Canadian that was abroad and uh, to go in self-isolation because they don't really trust like the other country's numbers and um, so basically we we were in Chicago we just booked it and said okay like fuck that it's you know that tour is shot we're we're done you know we're going we're going home Um, yeah and then we just like by the time we, we were home this recommendation became like pretty much an order and maybe two days after they closed the borders um, like i said like the quebec government shut down the schools already like over a week ago yeah so they were really like like really proactive and ahead of many other governments so that's that's what gave us the sign to the go ahead sign and to go home and yeah uh, i thought okay that thing is serious we better we better do what we have to do not for us but maybe more for the most uh, vulnerable people yeah, yeah. although that we do hear that even healthy people are being affected so but for us we were in contact with just so many people yeah, taking course. our taking going to the toilet at restorias and like you know like eating at the restaurant every day to two to three times a day and then playing a show at a bar we were just like if we're one asshole sick sick we're gonna spread it to so many people let's just go home and deal with that shit like the like uh, later you know yeah. all the band stuff later so how many but, uh, yeah that's uh yeah what's well, sorry i was just gonna say how, how many dates into the tour were you uh we were at our sixth day okay. in, uh that was our fifth day in the united states and uh, since day one of the tour, I was following the news very yeah, closely. Yeah. And I was like kind of saying to the guys, I do not want to be in a country where toilet paper and guns are what 
like leave the shelves the <laughs> yeah. fastest in case of of pandemic like i you know like no no you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i just don't want to be stuck in the u.s without a u.s passport while the shit hits the fan here so everyone kind of knew that we were on the lookout for that so we just we were just surprised how quickly things changed we yeah. were thinking at first that the tour was going back to canada for a couple of days so we so technically the tour was going home and we were more and more like looking at things and saying probably that once the tour would be home we couldn't go back in the states but then we just like quickly like nope let's just get the hell out of here yeah. people get buying guns and fighting over toilet paper that's that, that's my cue i'm, I'm out of here <laughs> yeah. well let's talk about more exciting things let's talk about you elliot as i said the show is called just an insight i always like to take my guests back to their their roots and their origins so what was it that kind of drew you to alternative music what kind of first got you into sort of listening to alternative music I was fortunate to have like an older brother that was very into like underground music and uh, yeah like like it was metal it was punk it was all, all the underground scenes and um, for us and I'm gonna talk for me and for the Bradley brothers because they like the two the two two other members in the band are brothers and I know them since we're since we're kids yeah um, I I would think it's the more like the punk scene that got us into this. Particular sound of just like raw energy and everything. I don't know how far I can start back, but we always been listening to somewhat metal underground sound just because we were surrounded by older brothers yeah. showing us all of the good stuff. I mean, when I was very, very young, I had like a cousin that showed me the Metallica albums at the same time showing me like the Sex Pistols album. And, uh, like, very quickly, like, I discovered, like, the Dead Kennedys and all those very, very aggressive sound. But, yeah, like, I don't know how we ended up from that to technical, brutal death metal. <laughs> yeah. But it's just that since we're kids, we're really listening to a lot of different sounds from the underground. Like, we always listen to hip-hop, punk, the... Like, uh, like, I mean, I'm from Montreal, so very young. Uh, there were like Cryptopsy that put out the album Non Soul File. That just, no matter in what type of scene, musical scene you were, you heard about Non Soul File, and you, you know, you paid attention. I would say it like this. And uh, as we grow up, and we just, you know, kind of looking for our sound. I mean, I know Chris, the guitar player, was in a punk rock band for a long time. I was more into like a little more of a hardcore band. And um, at some point, you know, like his punk rock band thought he was shredding too much in this <laughs> punk rock band. And, uh, and for me, I started listening more and more like stuff that would be grind uh, faster and faster with like heavy parts. But I really like to enjoy like the blast beat and the alternate blast beat in particular. And Chris, which is my, like, you know, my, like I said, it, like my friend since like forever. Yeah. He was like, yeah, yeah, like, wow, yeah, it, it could, I can shred good on that compared to the punk rock beats. And like very young, we started, you know, try to try to look for our own sound. And we weren't scared really to, I don't know, break any boundaries. And of course, we got a lot of shit from older generations. that's like, you can't mix this and this, you know, yeah. You have to be like a certain way, you know, and uh, but we always kind of push for our own, our own sound. Yeah. And yeah, slowly but surely, we managed to mix all those weird influences into very, one very 
little project of raw energy shredding so we had all the aspect we wanted to put together and uh, I even remember clearly the day that we created the first song and we were like I think we got our sound that's that's what we're going for yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's exactly what we're going for it's just like blast beats a lot of shredding a lot of brutality and uh yeah and like me screaming in the back very very angry at the yeah. world <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of mentioned that you sort of like uh sort of graduated onto kind of like listening to stuff like grindcore and stuff that had blast beats and stuff so what kind of bands were you sort of drawn to in, in your young, younger years uh, in the uh, younger years yeah well like i said like we were very very like like influenced by many many different sounds so at the same time that i could listen like i'm just thinking of the big albums that were out like during those years like uh like dying fetus put out like killing on adrenaline Mm. i remember that was an album that put a really big impact on our our way of seeing music and uh like because they had those breakdowns that were like straight up out of hardcore bands such as like integrity and like like bands that like normally would be like more seen like as a like the hardcore scene yeah. and like like some even some mad ball grooves in there and uh like and we said but that guy's like fucking shredding uh like like overdose riffs sometimes that's that's great and those shreds are like not just guitar wankeries they're great you know <laughs> yeah. my great leads and uh, like i said again like uh cryptopsy non vile was just like an album that when it came out like i, I was young when the, that album came out very young and uh I like it blew my mind. Mm. This was like John Levasseur's songwriting and Flo's crazy drum uh, technique were just out of this world stuff that we like really quickly. We wanted to know how are these guys doing this and like without copying, it's just like I don't know how to say it, like something out of the box came and yeah. just draw us out of the box. Like saying like, look, there's all those regular musical scene but you can also try to do something that's really like unique your your own type of uh, of sound and uh, yeah hmm. and for for you personally it's sort of like as you mentioned sort of growing up in in montreal and obviously having older sibling that was kind of showing you music and and things like that like was there quite a, a sort of a lively scene in in montreal that like you started going to shows and, and seeing all these bands Oh yeah, I mean, uh, in my teenage years, that's all I was doing. Like we, st- I started going to the first very, very first shows I were going to. I was going to were punk rock shows, and then quickly hardcore shows. The hardcore scene just it was like quickly turned into like a like a, some kind. Of, I, I just appreciate the brotherhood, like yeah. the the fact that the musicianship. Uh, no, the musicians on stage were not. They were not rock stars. They were happy to talk with the people. They were, if you knew the words, they were happy to share the mic. If you could go on stage and like whatever, do whatever. And I really, really liked this type of mix of uh, like like punk, but with the heaviness of metal, but without the cockiness of metal. <laughs> I feel yeah. like saying. So I really, really appreciated that. And sure enough, quickly we figure out that not all metal bands were cocky and, and a lot of them were influenced by like more underground uh, like hardcore vibes I could say so really slowly we started going to like other uh, I think it would be more like the death metal shows that really got us 
obviously that's the death metal that got us into death metal. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but the Montreal scene, I mean, um, I remember seeing shows of like when Dying Feeders were coming in Montreal and they were like on the same bill. There would be like gore guts, uh, like you know, like just mind blowing stuff. And uh, not long after, like Cryptopsy's uh, local show in Montreal could hit like seven, eight hundred people. And uh, those those were local shows, and uh, yeah. So I guess uh, Cryptopsy, uh, Gorguts, uh, I remember Covetus really liked their concert when we were young, and uh, yeah, those bands growing up were the death metal bands we would go see. Hmm. And obviously nowadays everyone kind of knows you as the vocalist of sort of Beneath the Massacre, but did you kind of ever dabble with any other instruments, or has kind of doing vocals always been the thing that you've been drawn to? No, yeah, no, not at all, actually. When we first started the band, um, I was the bass player. Oh, okay. And, and what happened is that Dennis is, which is, like, the bass player, he, he is the, 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 the brother of Chris, the guitar player. Yeah. And um, we, we were doing a pre-prod with, like, a singer that we were trying out, and my backup vocals were just, like, so much more brutal than his. <laughs> yeah. So much that our buddy Tremblay, which ended up being our merch guy for a couple of years and a couple of tours, he's the one that said, dude, just just take the mic. Dennis takes the bass. But Dennis is a better bass player than you are. You're a better singer than the singers there. Like, there you go. Just make a little switcheroo and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sure enough, we end up doing just that. And, uh, never looked back. And uh, never been so comfortable with the aspect of a uh, front man though i don't like these attention sometimes yeah and i'm kind of happy that it's not really the the main focus in beneath the massacre is not really the the singer the front man and stuff like that i'm really kind of happy about that yeah and had you kind of done sort of vocals in any other bands before or was this your first kind of attempt at doing it I mean, I, I was do always did backup vocals with the, the other bands I were playing. I was playing bass with, mm. but uh, and because of that, some other bands asked me to do songs with them, featuring like when I think of like in the hardcore scene. But no, that was my first uh, first lead singer gig, and most definitely the last. Also, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if I went to start back another project, I wouldn't pick the mic. The mic is a. Uh, yeah, it's a strange <laughs> spot to be um, to be in. No, that's fair enough. Um, and just in terms of kind of the the other bands that you were kind of playing in before Beneath the Massacre, were they kind of iterations of, of different metal bands, or were they kind of punk and hardcore bands? What sort of stuff were you playing when you were younger? Yeah, well, the the only real band I can say I had like before Beneath um, was a very very let's say experimental prog band oh, okay. and I, I think it was I think it was like we were just looking for our sound and we had we weren't close minded to anything so yeah. there was no riff that would make us go oh no this riff is too prog or this riff is too is too uh, hardcore or this or that we were all riffs were, were welcome we were kind of making blend together it was kind of good we did a couple of gigs like uh, you know everywhere here in our province of Quebec but it's while working on in this band that basically we 
ended up shaping the sound of Beneath the Massacre. Right, okay. Chris joined the band, he, he was shredding a lot. Uh, some people in the band were like not sure if that's the direction we should go. And there, there's that one night that we stood up all night to write a song, and when we were done with that song, we're like, that's that's the sound. You know, yeah. That's what we were going for. And we're like, that's very, very evil. And I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's where we're at now. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, in the following months, we just changed name and said that this is Beneath the Massacre. And it's a whole other thing. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned like that you kind of had that sort of light bulb moment of, of discover, like writing that first song and sort of that discovering of, of the sound kind of thing. But did you kind of have any preconceived ideas before that moment of what you wanted to sound like or was it just as it evolved you kind of realised like oh this is what what we're going to sound like kind of thing I think we like me and Chris which are the two writers of the band like like the most people like I don't want to say we're the only one writing but most of the stuff is written by Chris and then myself in the song structure and whatnot. Yeah, both of us kind of had our own idea but it's hard to put into words what you're trying to explain when it comes yeah. to music, and especially when you're trying to be outside that box, because you don't want to be talking in the regular, with the regular vocabulary musicians would talk because we're trying to do something that's not typical. So if we're trying to, if I try to explain how I want the sound, but by using everyone's vocabulary and typical ways of, of building a song with bridge, chorus, blah, 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 uh, time signatures and everything, I'm going to end up with a very typical product. So yeah. we just we just had we had ideas. Like, I think when we were talking, sometimes we wouldn't agree, but when we were putting it into a song, then we would agree. And so, so we stopped trying to put a label on it, try to stop trying to put words on it and just make it happen, make the songs. And then we're like, yeah, that's that what we're going for mm. it's, uh, I, th- I think the really hard, the hardest part was to know how how fucked up we would go <laughs> because yeah. like how really how weird we would go like and that's the fine line we always have to find on every album we want to be like we want to be not easy to listen to but we want enough hooks in there that people knows that's that's the song that's or they, they recognize themselves through the album. Yeah. And, and it's a very, yeah. So. And in terms of kind of like, because you mentioned earlier that when, when you kind of first started, that people were sort of questioning the, the sort, of, sort of the mix master of styles, that you couldn't have like hardcore elements with these sort of death, death metal elements and stuff, but you kind of just did what you wanted sort of thing. But was there kind of any pushback when you first started as a band that people were like, well, I, don't, I can't really get my head around what's going on sort of thing. Um, not really people couldn't... Because we're in Quebec. Quebec, like, uh, there's a lot of prog bands. There's a lot of technical bands. And, right. And that aspect, that aspect was rather accepted where we're from. The, uh, strange enough, like, it was more the aspect of grooves and breakdowns. And one of the... And another aspect was our image. We would... Uh, I remember, like, our first EP that came out, people in Quebec were just, you know, expecting to see, like, typical long hair death metal guys. Yeah. And when we got on stage, we, you know, like, they, they, they weren't happy. It's strange, strange <laughs> to say, but 
because now there's a lot of death metal band that the guys don't have necessarily long hair and everything. But back then, it was a disappointment to some people. Like some people really, oh, I love the music, and then they went to see the, the picture, the band picture, and they were like, oh man, I didn't know it was hardcore kids doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And it's always like, and and then I just find out I was a hardcore kid when they when they were they were saying this. So I think, yeah, or or let's say, oh, there's one one big like clearly a break, break down like a one note riff or something then they were like like ah oh, your song was perfect up till there you know that's no that doesn't work or yeah so we, we can't we started by booking booking our song with the same uh same uh from my word like this the same promoters we had with the band before that yeah. was all over the place with, so and we didn't even like like uh, benefits shows and probably like like stuff like this but always like within a, a circle of people we already knew uh the i would say the more traditional metal scene in quebec kind of turned their back on us a little i have to admit the the, the promoters which we were going to see their shows since we were kids like for the promoters for cryptopsy and all these bands we didn't play any of their shows until we uh, we were on a full north american tour with behemoth okay they like just you know they, they they would they probably would say that it just happened to be like this but this but we know that there were backlashes in the in the scene and accepting us because we quickly went from a local act to a national act an international act and it took all this before we would be invited to a montreal show by the the most uh the regular promoter of Montreal of metal shows, yeah, which was weird, but we never really gave a shit. We never, <laughs> yeah. never really like. We just kept looking forward and like, okay, well, you know, what you gotta do? We're because what we do, we consciously are doing it. That's what we want to do, and we wouldn't know how to do and do any different, really. Yeah. Uh, so there's no there's no question. There's no debate to have. So we just keep going with what, with what we had. Yeah, and in terms of kind of like as you mentioned, sort of like becoming a sort of a national band and international band. Like I think I first discovered you back in around sort of two thousand six, maybe when I think like a lot of my friends were sort of like starting to sort of get into you guys as well. So was there a moment when you kind of realised like, oh shit, like we're we're starting to sort of branch out from from Canada and and we're getting recognition from across the pond and things like that i gotta say that's why sometimes like with like the relationship with people at home was strange because let's say we could play a show in montreal and people were speaking to us in english thinking we were american and then they were freaked out that whoa whoa you guys are from here like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. uh, i just i think because because we we came on the, uh, we came prepared. What we had is um, the plan was like was to record an EP before like uh, we were a band only two for two months. We, we 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 put up a set list. We went on the road right, and by the, by the time we like we ended those first run of shows, we recorded an EP. The EP was supposed to be the, uh, released DIY, but. Uh, Galley Records had uh, he had they had wind of like us recording something that was insane because we 
we picked uh, Yannick Saitama. Uh, and uh, he was sleeping at Alex's place of the Spice Icon. And Alex said, like, he just hit me up saying, dude, you're not going to release this independent, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah it's just a demo. It's just an EP, EP, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 we're going to, like, I'm going to give it to a label. And once that label, like, uh, Galley Records signed it and released it, Right after we had offers from American labels and like American tours and whatnot, so so it was very very quick. Like at the same time, there was MySpace also, so you know, like everything went so quick that yeah, like from one day we were not even existing, the other day we had an EP, and like the following day we had offers everywhere, and like our fan base was not maybe not even more in our like hometown or local or whatever. And I think we were maybe like, you know, that, that generation of band with MySpace music and everything, I think it's the first generation that those types of situation could occur. As before, bands would do a lot of local show to get recognized, yeah. before they would do shows like uh, in, in national shows. And for us, it was from, we did one gig, one show, uh, we had the EP, MySpace music, and then offers were coming from everywhere and quickly... Montreal was not the was not the our biggest fan base, and that felt weird also. Yeah, and in terms of that, like you sort of mentioned, like the kind of the whole sort of MySpace era, and I think that was kind of a big part of sort of my discovery of, of you guys. And I think like some bands obviously have kind of gone by the wayside, but bands like yourselves have kind of persevered and kind of come through the other end of that sort of thing. So, for you personally, like what? would you say has kind of been the biggest shift since those days to, to where we are now? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm really, <laughs> really not sure because we're, we're just starting back. And one of the things I noticed when we start back uh, for a new album is that, uh, fuck, our Facebook was hacked. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and our yeah, so we were about to announce something, like, uh, I think it was like, yeah, we're, I don't know, I just wanted to post something about us playing music together again, and then I realized, oh, fuck, Facebook <laughs> is hacked, and I realized how much the social media is so much bigger nowadays, yeah. like, because uh, people after that say, oh, you know, screw Facebook, it's Instagram, and then like, oh, go look, okay, we do have a page Instagram, but no, there's no followers, and there's nothing going on. And then I click on other bands. And I'm like, wow, what the, like those those are big numbers yeah. of following. And then the in the with the interaction of people with their fans, um, yeah, it really really changed because you know, like MySpace. Yes, it was social media, but it was really more like a, a website page. Yeah. Really, we just we decided what we were posting, and pretty much that's it. You know, like people could post comments, whatever. But there were no like nowadays like people are like really interconnected with their fans. Yeah. To the po to the point that for us, I don't know. Like some people like are bigger fans in, of social media than others, but for us in Benito Massacre, none of us are really active on social media. None mm. of us really, none of us really care about like our personal pages <laughs> and less, even less about. Uh, like self-promoting and, yeah. and, and like trying to brand yourself, your like, like, but like personal branding and whatnot. Like we're really not 
I don't know. I, 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 of course, there's a bit of a generation thing in there, but I know some people in my generation are really much into it. So I can't really say it's just because it's not of our age. Yeah. But yeah, when they're just not good like that, <laughs> yeah. maybe not good. I don't know how to say it. We we don't. It's it's just not us. It's just simply not us. Yeah. We're trying our best to p- keep people updated through social media. We really like the fact that we can keep everyone posted. But yeah, it's a little intense sometimes. <laughs> you know, I I, don't, I totally get that. So. I, obviously just having to promote this this show on social media is just that's a, a, a headache enough as it is yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little special yeah, at the same time I understand fans that you know if they, 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 they grew up with their bands talking to them every day on, on like through stories and whatnot, yeah. and they I kind of understand they, they, they kind of like it they kind of expect it and everything but for me, like in our generation and maybe more like an older way of th- seeing things, it's a little, it's a little invasive. It's a yeah. little like, I, like, do we really have to post everything? Do we, is it, is it the end of the world if you don't post <laughs> yeah. something for one week? And apparently it is because the algorithm will simply kick you out. Yeah. Like, the Facebook. That was one of my, the thing that I, that I noticed. We made a post. And we had like over like well over a hundred thousand followers, and I think it was saying something like two people, two uh, two thousand people reached. And I was like, what? Like, and then then I got explained. Oh yeah, you gotta either post every day or post, and then and you gotta put monies to reach the people that liked you. And I was like, wow, that's, that, I don't know. I got a hard <laughs> time wrapping my head around that one. I'm not, you know. No, I, I I'm, not big, I'm not. I'm, I'm not into it at all. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, and you kind of mentioned, obviously, like now the the band is kind of starting up again, and obviously you've got the new record out. But was was the break a conscious decision? Because I don't know. Like for me personally, it just kind of felt like you kind of went away. There was no kind of like we're going away sort of statement or anything, and then like all of a sudden you're back sort of thing. So. Was it just a case of like life got in the way? Like, what was the the situation that caused this this gap in time? Oh yeah, that was totally just life getting in the way. We uh, we did our last European tour in 2013, and it, we didn't think a lot of it. Like they were like it wasn't wasn't that good. Then we went to the US. It was okay, but nothing crazy. Yeah. And, uh, that was like so we did we were like yeah well we did a year and a half promotion of our last album on the, on prosthetic records in congress yeah so we were like you know we were we've been around we did what we had to do we that was the last album to honor our contracts with prosthetic records uh our van just hit the over well over four hundred thousand kilometers Whoa. so you know, like the the tour rig is a little rusty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We would need some investment in there, and then started this, like a shit storm of bad news. Like um, I injured myself, I needed a surgery, and uh, like a like shoulder surgery. So right. I was like, okay, well, that's that's a good thing to put put the band on hold a little. Then Dennis practicing the same sports. <laughs> pretty much injured his shoulder and had to go to surgery for his shoulder um meanwhile i 
dislocated again my shoulder, so I had a second surgery. So there was all kind of health problems that really the band was not relevant at this moment. Right. Um, Chris was Chris always kept writing material because that's what he does. He he's a he's a guitar player, so that's what you know, <laughs> yeah, that's what he likes to do. So every once in a while we would get together, work on the songs. Me and Chris, like oh Hugh, there work on the structure, like blah blah blah, but without any like goal in mind. So and then you know like people like so some Dennis went to school. I got more and more and more involved at my at my work, like you know getting better positions. Yeah. Same for Chris. Then Pat, the our, our drummer, had a bad back. He was touring with Gorgas, but even there, he barely could finish the cycle, and his back was, like, he had really, really bad back problems, so we couldn't practice. So it was just, like, very slowly, there was no more point in trying to, uh, for us to, like, to book anything. So so we just kept it as uh, what it really is, you know, and it's music. Yeah. And uh, slowly worked on some songs. When we figure out that the songs were... We, we were having to start looking like an album. Well, then we start looking into getting a drummer that could play the songs, and uh, that's how we hit up Anthony. Um, yeah, so it's just like very slowly we went out, and very slowly we came back. Yeah, and yeah. was there kind of ever a thought in your mind that this album may never see the light of day, or as you say, because Chris was kind of constantly ticking over and, and writing stuff, that it was kind of always bubbling underneath the surface? I knew it would see the day, but I, I didn't know in what form. Right. For the longest time, I thought it would be most like a more like a post mortem, like a free album. Right. Like like just like basically like hey we're done, but we've been doing working on this for years, so we kind of knew that those sessions we knew like that what we were writing we liked it, and we would have been dumb to not put it on a record and. Uh, yeah, but for the longest time we weren't know if it would be <clears throat> like a independent record or a just drop the YouTube record or Bandcamp or whatever. And uh, it really it really needed some convincing from some of our friends that were still in the still in the music business, whether like in bands or producers and everything, telling them like telling us to pretty much shut up and put that on a record, put it for <laughs> yeah. sale, find a record deal, go promote that thing and get the whole thing going back on track and yeah it needed some convincing and I would say even a year from now like only a year ago I was still kind of like the rec the album was recorded and I in my mind it was like hey guys you know let's just put this on YouTube let's give it as a gift and uh you know so it's really yeah a bunch of times we thought that this album wouldn't, wouldn't see the day as it is now yeah. for sure and like you kind of said that sort of idea of kind of just giving it as a as a gift and, and things like that but were you kind of like when you took that decision to kind of go down I guess the quote-unquote traditional route of having it released properly and so on and so forth was there kind of a bit of apprehension from your point of view because you'd been away for so long or were you more excited to be back in the world as Beneath the Massacre? Well definitely no apprehension and uh, more excitement yeah. for sure we are not uh, 
we're not really a band that is around to please anyone. <laughs> yeah. We're very happy that people. We're very happy that people like our song, like our song, and uh, you know, like they dig it. And uh, it was very, like, very cool to read all the comments of the people while we were on hi hiatus to ask us to start back playing music and this and that. But you know, like, that's not gonna what's gonna put bread and butter on the table. So <laughs> yeah. for us, it's really it's a bit of a selfish trip. You know, we know sometimes what what could be a money move for a band, but we don't do it. We go for more like whatever musical integrity or artistic integrity. And uh, yeah, so yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's a bit of a selfish thing. Like we weren't scared because I don't want to say we didn't care. Like there are our fans, people that really like our, like our music since day one. If they would have told us, yo, the new album sucks, of course we would have been disappointed. Yeah. But but we know deep down it doesn't suck. Yeah. And the musicians <laughs> yeah. we had, like the musicians, producer, and everyone that had the work on that album, like everyone knows that that album is heavy and it's, it's something to, you know, something to recognize. But again, we don't want to sound pretentious, so we're just, you know, we're just doing our thing. Yeah. And just before I kind of start to round things off, Elliot, obviously, like, with the new record, it it does sound incredibly brutal and, like, chaotic in the same breath. And, like, the thing I kind of find with your band, uh, I know you kind of mentioned earlier that being the vocalist of Beneath the Massacre isn't necessarily the focal point, but I find what's interesting is how your vocals fit within what is such a chaotic sound. So when it comes to sort of the, the writing process, like, how do you kind of distinguish like where you're going to fit in because to me like it's just mind-blowing like how you fit into the, the patterns so how does your kind of process work oh yeah i would lie if i wouldn't tell you it's a lot of work <laughs> it's, uh, because the first part the first part of writing the song is always writing the music yeah. it's always it's not even like it's like we we, we can work like two years on a song or whatever and I'm not gonna touch the vocal patterns until it's done because I know that there there's can be so much that's gonna change until we lock it down like that. That's the song. Um, with Chris' uh, ways of writing his guitar is uh, like with the weird time signature and the weird patterns. I I have no choice to learn all these patterns. Yeah. Not how to play that, how to play them, but how to count them. Right. Or to know how to recognize where the loop is or the, 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 the hook is I should say the, so it's only very like it takes a long time for me to start thinking of a song and I'm like okay what is that song giving me for a vibe first then what would I like to say in that song what, what is that song about mm. and one of the funny things is like by the time I'm done writing, maybe sometimes my the song is supposed to be about something and it ends up being about something else. But once I figure out what's the subject of the song, then I start writing. Yeah. On one hand, I start writing without looking at the patterns. I write. I do my researches. I can sometimes, most of the time, it's like I kind of regurgitate what I've been reading. The last right. few books I've been reading, like like, because most of the songs are, are thought patterns. They're thought, thought process. They're not really. They're not really like. A, um, they're not.
not really the, I'm not bringing any solution I'm not presenting a story I'm just like it's just like it's like thinking out loud a yeah. little and um, so I start writing without looking at the patterns at all I do my researches I yeah. I sometimes like quote some writers in my book and uh, and on the other hand I have a very <laughs> a very weird system for what I would say tabbing vocals okay is uh, I, I developed that years ago for the first full length we did and it's like I, I take those uh, those square sheets yeah and basically every square is a time okay the bottom of the line is the time is the is the time and the up of the line is the is the up like the end so one and two and three yeah. and four I I draw what's the guitar pattern in terms of times and what I would like to have for deliver of vocals. So I kind I don't know whether are going to are going to be the words but it's going to go along the along the lines sort of thing. You know like like and then I know yeah it's like like the barking is going to look something like that it's going to be slow it's going to be fast I hear slow hear fast I catch the time here I catch the counter time there and so I kind of have my ideas already like this, and I even do, I even did pre-prod with just screaming, I just scream numbers, because okay. I don't want to put words in it, on it right away, so yeah. I scream number. So, uh, as I listen to my vocal patterns, they're not frozen, they're not locked down, that now I go and put like, a syllable everywhere for every word, but now that I got like the, my ideas on one sheet, my patterns on one sheet, then the or if I try to fit every riff with a certain like a certain message or a certain point a turn point on the song or whatever most of it like when there's a groove or a breakdown the, most of the time I, st I start with those because that's most of the time I'm the clearest in my messages or my lyrics not so it's like I don't know how to say I'm the most straightforward most yeah. of the time in the, in the breakdown or it's like one of the very main idea behind the song so once I nailed those then then it's really it's really a lot of work to just make it all fit and one of the things I try to do is to bring as much rhythmic and a very polyrhythmic pattern music mm. I like I try to simplify the song to the ears of the people that is the first time they're listening to the song yeah. And I think like, a lot of times I, I, I work uh, it works because uh, even our producer Donaldson told us he told me like man the songs become so much simpler once you start singing on them. <laughs> if you remove the lyrics, you realize how complicated like the, the, the like the, the counting of the song. Yeah, are. yeah, that's cool. So though. That's like, what that's... I try to do. No, it's sort of like really kind of in as I said, like when I listen to your stuff, I'm just blown away by how you do it. So I really appreciate you kind of talking me through that that process is really really interesting um in terms of kind of like i guess the title of of the album fearmonger like it kind of speaks for itself but obviously the, the kind of time period we're in now at the moment was it kind of did was it kind of a slight at like how the world is and like i think it's just a prime example of like what we're seeing now with this whole coronavirus is that people were jumping uh, to conclusions so quickly so was that why you wanted to kind of name it after that? It was was just this sort of 
idea of of society like jumping on media fear mongering? Um, yeah, fear monger is actually like a a bit strange because um, like the album is not about fear fear mongering at all, and it's uh, okay. It's it's a uh, like every song has its own subject. Like I said, like it takes me so much time to write course, every track yeah. that every track is is a thing of a thing of tone. And um, basically, what happens is that the last track that Chris dropped for uh, from writing, like we were just right before going in the studio. It's one of the only track we didn't we couldn't do a proper pre prod and everything for yeah. it. It was Rise of the Fearmonger, and when he dropped that track. Musically, in my opinion, it was the most straightforward, piss-off uh, track that he ever produced. Mm. And I was kind of running out of ideas, of fancy ideas, and like uh, for lyrics. To be honest, like the lyrics on the albums are sometimes very complicated. I would have to break it down line by line. Yeah. So it's like it's it's really hard to say. Oh, that song is about this. You know, it's really <laughs> yeah. it's a little. It's it's hard. But Rise of the Fearmonger, because I was running out of ideas, I didn't have that much, as much time to write it. I just wrote a song about something that pisses me off a lot, and it's the fearmongering politics we see around the world rising right now. Yeah. The type of post-truth era, anti-intellectual, uh, intellectualism, the... Uh, you know, like, all, of course we can, like, talk about Trump, but every... every government right now of uh, the western civilization has uh, every country of the western civilization has those politicians rising those oh, right-wing yeah. politicians rising benefiting from hate speech and fear of the others and xenophobia we saw it like in the migrant crisis we saw it all the time and it, it's so it, it just it just pisses me off yeah like straight up pisses me off now with what's going on with COVID-19 uh, a lot of people told me yeah fear monger and, and everything uh, isn't it weird that you guys stopped touring because of this and that I'm like no because <laughs> the fear the fear the fear mongering here was done on immigrants and stuff like that while there was a real uh, threat while there was a very real threat that we once again did not listen to like scientists yeah. and the people we should have sent it's like you know like not a month ago trump was saying in the media that the like the coronavirus will just one day disappear yeah and and but but they were they had to be scared of the dangerous socialist of bernie sanders that's fear-mongering because there's a real threat and you just say that oh, there's nothing there but you must be afraid of socialism and stuff like that that's more my take on the, the fearmonger thing. Yeah. Right now, the episode that we're seeing is ex it's exactly anti-intellectualism. Like we have pros in there. They warned us. Nobody did anything for it. And uh, yeah, the post-truth. Exactly. Trump saying that there's nothing there and it's just gonna disappear. And uh, yeah, that's the, that's the mess we're in right now. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Elliot, thank you very much for your time. Before I let you go, the way I like to, to round these off is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what is your favourite Beneath the Massacre song that you like to play live and why? Uh, the, the, one we, the one I like to play live? Yeah. I guess it would be Autonomous Mind. Yeah, any particular reason? 
Yeah, because just the way it hits at the end, it's just a, it's a very strange song. And I think unless you heard the song before, of course, I, I just love to have the surprise aspect of how it ends <laughs> yeah. and the mes- message behind it and everything. Cool, perfect. Elliot. So yeah, right, right now that would be autonomous mind. Perfect, brilliant. Elliot, thank you very much for, for your time. Um, hopefully when this whole thing blows over, we'll see you on our, our side of the Atlantic sooner rather than later. Sounds good, man. Perfect. Brilliant. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Elliot for taking some time out of his day uh, during this mad, mad times that we are having to have a chat with me, a complete stranger to him. So, yeah, really, really appreciate that. Um, I'm sorry, I've just seen a reflection in the mirror of a bird hanging outside my window and it's literally waving its ass in my face. There you go. That's something that I wasn't expecting, but there we go. Um, but, yeah, again, thank you to Elliot. Um, as always, there'll be links and descriptions to beneath masker stuff in this episode um i'm not going to go too much into it because we all know at the moment that information wise there's not a whole lot going on in the music scene unfortunately and as elliot said himself the band aren't massively active on social media however all those links will be there and in these trying times if you can go and help and support the band i'm sure they'd appreciate any support you can give them um as mentioned hoping to get another couple of chats in the bag for this week so we're hoping we'll hope to still have a couple of content at least for the next couple of weeks anyway um if you're not fully aware of things over here in the uk we are in a quote-unquote lockdown for three weeks so yeah i'm gonna try and do my best to make myself not go insane um i'm trying to put something together for facebook uh, not facebook live sorry instagram live but we'll see how it goes because i know a lot of people are trying to do things i don't want to oversaturate an already incredibly dense crowd and i'm just a small po- podcast in a very 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 big pond yeah but anyway Thank again if this is your first time stopping by the Justin Insight podcast or your 147th time thank you again and I will see you soon